Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Have you brought us out of Egypt only to die in the desert? See, the Israelites, oh man, they were mad at their leader Moses. They've been wandering the desert for, I would probably say, far too long. You see, Moses is doing his best. He's doing, he's, doing his, he's doing what he can. But he too is only doing what God has commanded. You see, every time that God has done something to show his power, his ability, his love for Israel, protecting them from foreign nations, giving them food and water without any labor or work, but their only attitude toward God every time, is that it's not enough. It's not enough. They're actually, when we read the scripture, the nation is actually starting to prefer the gods of Egypt over the God of Israel. They want to go back. Send us back. You see, God has either reached his limit or his patience because just a few chapters back from where this is happening, if you just turn the pages back a few, God has had enough. Because of their disobedience, of their complaining, of their lack of faith, he told the entire nation, with the exception of just a few, but he told all of them that this you all, this generation, will not enter into the promised land. The promised land, the very land that God had set aside. The land that was flowing with milk and honey. The land that is above all other lands. He's now handed it to the next generation. For them to be blessed. Now you would think this will wake them up. It was a cause a nationwide time of mourning perhaps. Or, or of repentance. That maybe... If we get on our knees, maybe God will change his mind. Maybe he'll cha change his heart toward this. And that we can enter into the promised land. However, they turned their back on God even more. That was their response to that. Their hearts had hardened toward God. It became hard. It, 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 they didn't receive the... They, it became hard. A rejection came into them. And a hard heart produces only one thing. Sin. That's it. Sin had entered their camp. It had entered into their community. It had entered into their nation. It became a part of their identity, a part of their who they are now. The memory of God saving them from Pharaoh has long escaped them. The memory that they are God's chosen people, that they are. He heard their cry. He brought them out of Egypt into this promise. All of that has now been a distant memory. 
And they're now trading. What we're reading, what we're witnessing right here in Scripture is that they are now trading their identity. They are trading their freedom that was given to them by God. And they are willingly becoming slaves again. Slaves to sin. Slaves to anger. Slaves to hate. And this, this led them, all of them, united to curse God. Why did you do this? Send us back to Egypt. You don't love us. And they began to curse God there in the desert. And I wish I had a different way that this story ended, but I don't. You see, the scripture says that God has had enough. He's at his end. And there, the just righteous God of the universe sends venomous snakes into the camp to go and attack the Israelites. And these snakes started to come from all around, all directions. From, from, it seems like from the ground, from the bushes, from the mountains. They were just coming into the, into the nation. And all of these snakes were biting the people of Israel. And the scripture says that they were filled with venom and that people were dying. They were losing their life. That the venom was so strong. And then here, in their suffering... In their suffering, they rush and go to Moses and they cry out, We have sinned against the Lord. We have sinned against you, Moses. Please pray for us. Pray to the Lord that he would take these snakes away, that he would take this, take, take, take this pain away, for he listens to you, Moses. He listens to you. Please take this away. And so Moses... He did just that. He prayed on their behalf, despite their bitterness, despite their anger, their sinful ways, regardless if they even deserved it. Moses prayed for his people. He prayed for them. And he went into a tent. And he went before the Lord. And the nation of Israel stood outside the tent and once Moses was done praying, they saw the tent open up and come out. The people see Moses with something in his hand that he had been in the presence of God. And he comes out of this tent and he says with a pole. And on top of this pole was a bronze snake that was fasted and made right there. And he had put it on top of this pole. And he tells the entire nation... Anyone who is bitten, look here. Look right here. For he will save you. That God has heard your cry. That he's extending his hand of protection upon his people. Look at this pole. Look now. And the scripture says that anyone that laid their eyes to the bronze snake were healed. That the pain was taken away. And that the nation of Israel was under the protection of God once again. Now, over time, as generations come and go, come and go, eventually they did end up in that promised land. 
They entered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And under that time, once they were in the land, experiencing the milk and honey, that ushered in the period of the judges, which then brought in a new era with the kings. But the people that day, that moment in the desert, outside of the tent, with snakes biting at them, looking at what Moses was bringing outside, the people have never forgotten that moment. So much so that they actually, the nation of Israel, when they traveled, they kept the bronze snake. They kept it. And they handed it to the priest, and the priest passed it down from generation to generation. They passed it down for 800 years. They kept passing down this bronze snake, a symbol of God's protection and redemption, locked up in the temple until a young new king decided it was time to pay the bronze snake a visit. Let's pray together. Father, we just pray over your word, over your scripture. Father, I pray now as I take the pulpit and I'm, I'm coming, Father, to research and study with you. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth are only the gospel truth. If I say anything that is not true, correct me here, now, on this spot. Father, I pray that when we walk out of here that we have a clear understanding of what your word wants from us, what you want from your people, Lord. God, this time, as we have been singing and lifting our voice to you, Lord, we pray that that has been accepted as worship. And as we open the Bible and your scripture, may we open our hearts to hear from you now. So, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back at the pulpit. Yes, I will tell you what, as a preacher, and I've been doing this for 12 years now, it kind of becomes a part of your DNA, you know? And when you get kind of, when you're away from it from a period of time, you just start trying to find things to preach at. You know, next thing you know, it's like I'm in the mirror doing my tie trying to preach to myself, you know? It's in your DNA, you know, and I will say I have missed it. I have met, and my kids, I'm sure, are like, okay, Dad, you need to get back up there. We've heard this sermon multiple times, right? All right, that's, that's enough storytelling. But it, I have missed it. And, you know, this particular coming out of the summer months, I thought, well, what, where should I land? What series, what things should we dive into and talk about? Well, I landed on the story of Hezekiah in 2 Kings. See, I've gone Old Testament there. And I want to say shout out to Jeremy. Listen, when I pick Old Testament scripture, I know there's going to be words we can't pronounce in there. And he stood up here and he said, he got, I'm going to tell you what, that guy, he did it absolutely perfect. So Jeremy, thank you. Thank you. But Hezekiah, why did I pick him? Why did I land on this guy? Well, Hezekiah, he goes down in history as perhaps the most righteous king in Israel's history. Is this guy, Hezekiah. The king, the good, righteous king. He honored God with everything that he did. God's favor. If we were just talking about how God was sending the snakes into the... No, God's favor was on him. His favor was with Hezekiah. 
And, and, and it was, he was upon him during a time when Israel itself was split between some, what I would call some internal affairs. They were in dif- they were indifference with each other, some of the tribes, on what proper worship should look like. How should we worship the one true God? And they were coming to a difference of opinion. In fact, that this split, this particular split, led to Israel becoming two separate nations. They just couldn't come to an agreement. They couldn't get on the same, I agree to disagree, and we're going to split. So over the next four weeks, we're going to dive into what made him a great king, particularly at this time. What's his story? What did Israel look like when he took the throne? What leadership qualities did he possess? What was God's relationship to Israel? You see, Israel, the nation of Israel, was in a very interesting state when Hezekiah became the 13th king of Judah. It was very hostile. It was very interesting. Things looked a little different than when they did with Moses. Since entering the promised land all those generations ago, Israel has had one problem after another, usually caused by their own disobedience. Not God's abandonment, their disobedience. So if we were to just back up a little bit to when King Solomon died, the wise king, That is when the nation decided to split and came into two separate kingdoms. Now, the secular world, when they're analyzing Israel's history, the secular world will tell you that the split was caused by political and tribal differences. But what it really boils down to, it was a matter of sin. It was a matter of spiritual sin that was rooting itself in the nation. There was a difference of opinion on the proper way to worship. And there was a few other things as well. Now, 10 of the tribes, remember there's 12 tribes of Israel. 10 of the tribes went north. They banded together and said, all right, we're going to take the north road here. And they went up and they kept the name of Israel. We're going to keep the name too. So in the divorce, that's mine. So they went north and they kept the name Israel. And then two of the tribes stayed south, forming the nation of Judah. And as each king came and went, came and went in the northern kingdom in Israel, as another one took power, another one was on the throne, each one, the further and further away, they fell from God. In fact, Out of the 19 kings that ruled the north, every single one, all 19, were evil in the eyes of the Lord. All 19. There was not one good king that ruled that land. They may have kept the name of Israel, but they did not look like anything like God's people. So the southern kingdom, Judah, wasn't much better, but they did have a few righteous kings. The south is where the tribe of King David landed, the tribe of Judah, from which the nation gets its name. Now, out of the 20 kings of the south, 
Five were considered righteous in the eyes of the Lord. That's a quarter. Were considered righteous in the eyes of the Lord. So, due to its unrighteousness, the northern kingdom did eventually fall. They didn't last long. They had abandoned all proper worship of God. All of them have. They worshipped idols, and it was their total lack of obedience that gave them over to the hands of the Assyrians. They were captured, they were enslaved, and eventually they were scattered among the nations. These tribes, in fact, still to this day, these tribes in the nation of Israel have a specific name. They will be given the name, the ten lost tribes of Israel. The ten lost tribes. There is no record or reference of these tribes from this point forth. However, tradition, and perhaps I could probably say Jewish folklore, states that these ten tribes will resurface once again. They will come back once again when the Messiah comes to reclaim the land of Israel. Now there is debate if it's meant on the first or the second return of the Messiah. I don't know. That's not for me. But all I can tell you is that when I read my history book, all I can tell you is that when the Jews took ownership of the state of Israel in 1948, or not, not, not that long ago, that the first time, this is the first time they have owned that land since 73 AD. That within the first four years after 1948, over three million scattered Jews left the nations of the world and traveled back home. As you can see, things are, they're a bit of a mess. When Hezekiah comes to power, it's not an easy road for him. And that was just the north. And his kingdom, Judah, he is coming off a very wicked king as well. He's coming off from Ahaz. You see, Ahaz had made alliances with the Assyrian king. That's why they didn't come get them. He made an alliance with them. But what came with the alliance? What was this under-the-table handshake, handshake deal? What was, give, what was the give and take for them to be saved? Well, that was very simple. It's that the Ahaz, the Assyrian, or the king of south, adopted their religious rituals. Oh, you want to keep us safe? No problem. Well, adapt your gods. So the religious ritual. He even built idols in the temple. He built idols in the temple. And listen, when I was doing my research and I was reading about this guy Ahaz, this guy even went as far to say he was all in on the pagan God. I'm all there. I'm, listen, I'm with you, buddy. We're, we're, we're like this. I'm all in. And he practiced one of the rituals of a pagan. He took his own son. Ahaz did. Took his own son. And he burned him alive to sacrifice to the pagan gods. This is where this was. This was the God of, of this is the King of Judah, burning his own son to a pagan god. Things aren't right. They're not looking right. They're not looking good. But keep in mind that probably to the side viewing and watching all of this is Hezekiah. 
for Ahaz was his father. Very well watching his brother being thrown in the fire. Surely no God expects this. And so here, when Ahaz dies, the throne was transferred to Hezekiah. The current state of Judah was transferred to Hezekiah. The paganism of the nation was transferred to Hezekiah. And when you receive such conditions, as a leader, a choice has to be made. A choice has to be made. You can either keep it the same or make a change. Every leader has to face this. Sometimes you receive things that are out of your control. And when you receive it, and now you are the one that God has placed in leadership, you have to say, keep it the same or make a change. Now, don't get me wrong. If we're all into the paganism, into that, don't get me wrong. Keeping it the same will usually come with praise. You'll get a pat on the back, even a hand clap, maybe a standing ovation even. Perhaps you'll even be viewed as a great leader in the eyes of your people. But I wanted to say, don't be fooled. This, this scenario, this is like the sheep leading the shepherd to greener pastures. The grass may be very green, it may be very good. But while the shepherd has his head down eating the grass, we can't see the lions ready to pounce. And thankfully, this is not the path that Hezekiah chose. Hezekiah knew that Judah had taken a wrong turn. So as soon as the authority was given to him, as soon as he took the throne, the power, the first thing he did is give that authority and power back to God. It's not mine. And he gives it back to and he prays to the Lord. And it's there in revealing in his prayer to God that the nation of Judah has gone off track. They are no longer worshiping one God. Your temple is filled with pagan gods. And so Hezekiah says, this has to be soft. He immediately, right then, goes to all the altars of the pagan gods. And there were, oh gosh, there were so many of them. There were so many altars there in the temple. Laid out for all these various and different gods. And he went altar by altar and he destroyed all of them. He broke them into tiny pieces. Knocked them over. Not in this house. Now, I will want to make mention here. He's not the first king to do this. There were righteous kings before him who came in and destroyed the altars. But there's one thing that Hezekiah did that no other king up to this point has done. Is that he went to one altar. And this altar said that it was for Jehovah, the God of Israel. All the other ones were pagan. And the scripture says that Hezekiah went to Jehovah's altar and he destroyed it. He destroyed the altar. What? Are you, Hezekiah, are you sure about that? And he said, for there was incense being burned to the altar. The physical altar had become the God. And so he destroyed it. 
And then he kept going. The people were just worshiping all these different things. He continued his quest by destroying the sacred stones. Now, don't, get, don't be mistaken. These were not sacred stones in the eyes of the Lord. These were idols or stones that were designed for the pagan gods that you would, you would have set out. They were, they were some type of worship that were for the pagan gods. And what he did is he took every single one of the stones and he threw them and smashed them on the ground. Every one of them smashed them all. Now, listen, I'm going to say this is interesting to me because in 2016, just within our lifetime, there was a, a team of archaeologists who were in Israel and they made a claim. They said, listen, we have discovered the area in which King Hezekiah had destroyed the sacred stones. Wow, that was a few years ago. Are you sure about that? <laughs> you found the spot where he did it? And this was, this was their argument. They wanted, to they wanted to validate that the good king actually did this. So the team, what led the team to believe they found it, was that in the holy sacred room that they have discovered, where they would have stored the stones, they had noticed that that room had been converted to a restroom. I'm serious. I'm not making this up. It was good. They had found an early, early century latrine in the sacred room. Now you go, well, why is that, why is that of any interest? Well, I'll tell you. See, the team had to go to 2 Kings chapter 10 as a guide when they discovered this room. And in 2 Kings chapter 10, the, there was a previous righteous king before Hezekiah who did the exact same thing. He went into the sacred stones of Baal and he smashed it to the ground. And then the, script, the scripture says that from that day forward, they used that room as, as a restroom, the nation of Israel. So they were able to take 2 Kings chapter 10, look at that and say, we found it. There it is. Now, why does that matter? Why do I bring that up? My wife would say, no potty talk at the pulpit. I know. Why do I bring that up? Well, to me, when I was writing and researching, to me, this says that Hezekiah was not only destroying the stones, but he was making a stand, saying that such things are equal to that of a restaurant. They have no place, no place in the worship of the Lord. And he wasn't done. He continued and destroyed, he cut down and he removed anything that was not of the Lord. And then, in the middle of his quest, as he was going through the temple, smashing this, breaking that. He came across it. He came across it. The remembrance of God's redemption toward Israel for generations. It had been protected and passed down by priest after priest. 
And there before his eyes, the good king was in the presence of the bronze snake. For 800 years, they've been passing this down, retelling that story. But as he looked at it, he noticed that right off to the side, there was a little smoke coming out. And as he goes over to the bronze snake, the priests were burning incense to it. They were worshiping it. The symbol of God's protection, his redemption, had become an idol. There was only one thing to do. Hezekiah grabbed the snake. There was only one God of Israel. And he smashes it to the ground, destroying it to little pieces. Scripture says that it took Hezekiah 16 days to cleanse the nation of idols. 16 days to remove all the idols. How about today, church? How does church look today? Like King Hezekiah, we must, we must Stay vigilant that the church doesn't become one with the world. We cannot and we must not compromise the gospel for a weaker and watered down truth. We can't do it. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we should not be welcoming to the world to hear the message of the gospel. In fact, that is the sole biblical mission of the church. If we aren't doing that, then we are nothing more than a country club. But what I am talking about is allowing the world, allowing politics, allowing pop culture to determine and dictate the identity of the church. Those things do not dictate the identity of the church. The church's identity and image always, always should be Jesus. Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. And I even say that sometimes when we put a pretty bow on something, give it a spin it and give it a different name. Just Jesus. That's the identity of the church. Because if we're doing it right, we need nothing more. We don't need anything else. We don't need to put anything on top of that. He is enough. He's enough. The problem is, is that we are not being good ambassadors of him. We have changed the identity of the church. 
We have changed what the gospel truth and message is. And as you can see in Hezekiah's time, it doesn't lead to promised times. The church's identity is Jesus. Our identity is Jesus. Let him change the world. Let him do it. Now I must also say that we must stay aware that the traditions of the church in themselves don't become idols. That we can't allow the internal affairs of the church become our idols. The things that we worship in place of God. We can't do that. See, the bronze snake at first was a symbol of God's protection and redemption. It was only good. It was good. You looked your eyes upon it, and it literally saved you. It healed you. But then when Hezekiah stepped in that room, he realized that the symbol of redemption and protection had now become an idol separating God from his people. It became the thing that separated them. And I'm just going to say that if we ever, if any of us ever get to a place where we are choosing tradition or preferences over people, then we've gotten off mission. We're off mission. Now again, this is not to say traditions are bad. My goodness. I have a laundry list of traditions. And I love every one of them. I love the traditions of the army. It's one of the reasons why I'm in the army. I can stand on them and behind them comfortably. But even I, your captain, has to remember that the army is always second to the kingdom. Always second to the kingdom. For all of us here in this place, we are united under the blood of Jesus. There is no other God that we serve. There is no other, other worldly thing, politics, culture, you name it. No. We serve Jesus. Jesus. This is the name. We believe that there is only one God who is infinitely perfect, the creator, preserver, and governor of all things, and who is the only proper object of religious worship. King Hezekiah, first day on the job. What are you going to do? We're going to worship God. As a leader, first day on the job, what are you going to do? We're going to worship God. Everything else will follow. Father, we pray now as we dive into the series and we look into the story of Hezekiah, Lord, let your message of gospel truth be revealed to us. Father, we pray now and we proclaim out loud that you are the one true God. There is no other God. If there's anything within our own souls, within our own heart, that we are placed there in idols of any form or fashion, God, that I pray they be broken and that they be removed even in our personal life, in our homes, or even in our church. Only you, only Jesus is our prayer.
So as we dive into this series, God, use Hezekiah to direct and speak to us. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So next week, I want you to read the next chapter or the next section of the scripture there in 2 Kings. And we're going to look into the decision-making skills of our good king, Hezekiah. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.